0: Well, good morning, everybody, again, welcome, it's good to see you all, I'm trying to get my little controller up here working, and I'm not, I'm having some trouble here, so, I don't have a lot of slides if it doesn't work, does anyone need a Bible this morning, did you show up this morning, you didn't have a Bible, maybe you didn't bring a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hand, God bless you, brother, Matthew 19 is where we're going to be, anyone else need a Bible, got some awesome, challenging text before us this morning, you know, i love you to see it for yourself, so you know I'm not making this up, need a Bible? Awesome, God bless you, brother. Anyone else any takers i 've got one more, and there are certainly more in the bin if you don 't own a Bible, please let that be a gift from us to you we 'd love for you just make that Bible your own we 'd love to put Bibles into hands so why don 't you pray with me as we get started? Father, we come to you again in Jesus name and Father, I love to pray. I love God, and it 's right for us to come before you often, Lord God, and even with every segment of the church, every time that we move on to something different in our service, God, it's good to pray, and so God, as we come before your word, and you know how I've labored in it this week and and really been challenged by it, and so God, I just pray that you would anoint my lips, and God, that you would even intercede between the words that come out of my lips and go into the ears and the hearts of these precious people that are here, God, intercede and let it be only that which you want them to hear, only that which is going to glorify you and and be accurate to what your scripture says this morning. And so, Father, I just pray for, God, a spirit of reverence to be in this place. I I pray for a spirit of attentiveness to be in this place. God, I just pray that this, this place would be full of people who want to say, Spirit, speak. I'm listening. And so, God, I just pray for that. I just pray for all the ears and all the hearts that are in this place. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you would want to impart to us this day. We all pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get into the text this morning, I want to share with you just a little bit of of kind of the behind the scenes, kind of the process that it goes to to come about selecting a book that we're going to teach on Sunday mornings. What I I like to do is as the book starts winding down, uh, a few chapters left, I start praying, Lord, where do you want us to go? Where are you leading us to next? What book do you want us to go in? And last fall, we were teaching through the book of Nehemiah, and we were inching ourselves through that book, and I started seeing the end, I started praying, Lord, Lord, where do you want us to go next? And I really felt a gospel, a gospel account, and I really felt like God was leading me to the book of Matthew. And so what I do is I start reading through the book in its entirety. And a book like Matthew, 28 chapters, I read through it at least once, but parts of it I read through multiple times. The smaller books like Ephesians or some of the epistles I'll read multiple times. But the point is just to try and get the theme of the book, get the heart of the book, get the message that Jesus wants to convey through this book to his people. But I want you to know, as I'm reading through that book, I really want to get an idea as best I can of where we're going when we embark upon this journey. But sometimes other things happen. As I'm reading through that book for the first time, I start to identify chapters or verses or difficult topics that we're going to embark upon. And in the study of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, the 12 verses we're going to look at this morning, they have been circled and on my radar since last fall. Because I knew this was going to be a challenging study. I know this is a challenging topic. I know this is even controversial because it's that important. But I want you to understand it was controversial in Jesus' day, and it's still controversial in our day, but just like we talked about last week— how we do things here at Calvary Chapel is verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, which means you know where we're going to be next week. You know we're going to be finishing the rest of chapter 19. And so I encourage you, read ahead. And for those who you know that you have been reading ahead, you knew what was coming today. And so I commend you for that. I always commend you, just please be reading ahead. But I want us to know a couple things right, right away. I am not picking on anybody today. All right, I have nobody's certain situation in mind when we're talking about this, when we're unfolding that. If it feels like that, that's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit pressing upon your heart. All right, I'm not picking on anybody. I didn't choose this text because there's some situation that I want to talk about. This is just where we're at. We are in Matthew chapter 19 this morning, picking up right where we left off last week. But I want to remind you of this as well. God knew we were going to be here on this day. God knew the exact text we were going to be on July 22nd. God knew the exact moment we were going to be here, and he brought you. You just happen to be here, right? Except it's not just a happenstance at all. God has brought you here, which means God has a message for you. And that's what I love about teaching the Bible, expositing it verse by verse, because God gets to choose what he wants to talk about and when he wants to talk about it. And here we are. So with all that going on, that's where we're at. And so I want us to tune in for this. I want us to be prepared for what we're going to talk about. Marriage, divorce, remarriage, and singleness. So if you're not married and you're thinking, I could have done something better with my time. Listen, we'll talk about singleness too towards the end of our study. This is applicable for everyone. But let's get back to the text. Matthew chapter 19, picking up in verse 1, it says, Now... It came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So here's the stage that Matthew is setting for us this morning. Notice he says that after Jesus had finished these sayings, after Jesus has finished talking about what greatness looks like in the kingdom of heaven, how it looks like humility, how it looks like offering forgiveness, after talking about those things, Jesus is now going to talk about marriage. But notice, not necessarily by his own topic selection, but because a question gets asked him, and Jesus is faithful to answer the question. Now, before we get to the question, let's just continue to see this stage being set. Notice that Jesus is departing from Galilee, and he's heading into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Now, this is not Jesus just going on a vacation or a sightseeing road trip throughout Israel. All right, this is very purposeful why he is doing this. And I want you to take a look at this map. We have seen Jesus in the region of Galilee, the northernmost portion of this map. That is where Jesus has been primarily throughout our study in the Gospel of Matthew. He has been in the region of Galilee. He's been in Nazareth, where he, has been, where he was raised. He's been in Capernaum. That's kind of been the central most location where home base has been set up. But he's been in Gennesaret and Bethsaida. He's been up in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus has been doing amazing things, teaching, preaching, and healing in the region of Galilee. And we've talked about in previous studies about how important it is and why he was in Galilee. But I want you to note, he is heading south into the region of Judea. He is heading towards Jerusalem. We are two chapters away from Jesus' triumphal entry. When Jesus will enter into Jerusalem, marking the beginning of his last week before he will go to the cross. So I just want you to understand the weight of that. Jesus has set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Because he is going to go to the cross because he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer there. He must be killed and he will be raised again. Jesus has come with a purpose in mind and it is to redeem humanity by paying for the sins of the world. He will do that on the cross. So just understand that as Jesus starts heading towards Jerusalem, he's heading towards the cross and everything is intensifying for him. The enemy knows what the cross means, and so his adversaries are intensifying. Jesus is going right into the lion's den, if you will, and that's what we're going to see this morning. So just kind of note that. Note also that, that the multitudes are still following Jesus. There's still a great crowd, a great multitude that is following him, and he's still healing them. But I want us to understand by this stage of Jesus's ministry, the multitude that is surrounding him, they're divided. There's at least four different segments within the group of this multitude that is following Jesus. There's the first the first group, right? They're disciples. They know Jesus as Christ, as the son of the living God, and they're following him. They're obeying him. They want to be with him. So that's at least group one. Group two, you have those who are holding out hope that he is the Messiah. That he's the one the scriptures foretold would come. That he has healing in his wings and they're coming to be healed by him. Group number three, you have fans. You always have fans. You have people who are just interested in seeing another sign. They just want to see something else amazing. So they're group number three here. But now we also have group number four. And these are those who have already decided not to believe Jesus. That he's not the Messiah. They are not going to give their lives to him. They are not going to follow him. In fact, they want harm to come to Jesus. They want to murder him. And these are the Pharisees. And we see the Pharisees are in this multitude. They're on this scene as well. And they're here to confront Jesus. I want us to just understand. Remember, the Pharisees are those legalistic religious leaders of Israel during this time. They're the spiritual elite in this time. They're those who are leading the people astray. They're leading the people down their own self-righteous man-made religious path. And we've already seen Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew have many run-ins with these religious leaders, but they come to Jesus and they have a problem with him because Jesus isn't good for their religion. Did you hear that? Jesus isn't good for their religion. Do you know that if Jesus's presence, if Jesus's words are not good for your religion, your religion is what's not good? If Jesus doesn't fit your religion, you need to throw your religion out because Jesus is the centrality of everything God has wanted to communicate to humanity. Jesus is the word, the message that has become flesh. Jesus is what God wants to speak to us, right? He's who who God wants to glorify and impart as Jesus represents him. So the Pharisees are stuck on their man-made religion. They're following their own things they've added to the word of God. They're missing the word of God himself, even though Jesus is standing right in front of them. But that's what we see here. The Pharisees come up to Jesus. Now, note they don't want to hear from him. They don't want to learn from him. They don't want to be healed by him. They want to test him. And that's what we're told in verse 3. They come up to test Jesus. So please note that verse 3 is a very important verse for us to note and understand about the context of what we're talking about this morning. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. Jesus. That's what's going on here. They're trying to put Jesus between a rock and a hard place by asking the question that they ask. They want to divide his following. They want to alienate at least half the people following Jesus from following him any further. And that's just what this topic sometimes has a tendency to do. I may end up alienating myself from some of you simply by standing firmly upon what the word of God has to say. And I have to be okay with that. Because I have to deliver up my soul in accountability to my King Jesus who's called me to preach his word. It is not about me. It is about his word. And I must be faithful. So the enemy loves to take this text that we're about to read and he loves to cause division and he loves to cause controversy. He loves to divide people because he loves to scatter the sheep. He loves what God hates. And here's the Pharisees being used as a tool of the enemy seeking to tempt and trap Jesus. So they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? That's the question they want to lead with. Does God allow a man to divorce for any reason? Now, while they wait for Jesus to respond, I picture a wicked little smirk on their faces. Because again, they want to trap Jesus and they think they've come up with something that is going to stumble the Lord. They think maybe one of two things is going to happen. They think maybe Jesus is going to take a firm stance on divorce, maybe even using Herod as the example and his divorce, and maybe Herod will have done to Jesus what happened to John the Baptist. He will be imprisoned and then beheaded because that's what the Pharisees want to do to Jesus. They want him killed. But if that doesn't happen, they still have this. They're putting Jesus in a rock or between a rock and a hard place by asking him this question in a public setting around a great multitude. Because they think at best, or maybe at worst, they're going to divide his following. Because what we have going on here is in this day, there were two primary teachings as it pertains to divorce. Two popular rabbis who took two different approaches in answering the question the Pharisees just asked. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Camp number one followed the teaching of a rabbi named Hillel. And Hillel was a very liberal rabbi. He was one who taught that yes, it is okay with God to divorce your wife for any reason. Any reason at all. If you can find any uncleanness in her, you're able to divorce her. If you wake up and you feel like it. If she burns your breakfast, if you find a woman that you like better or you think is more holy than your wife, you can divorce her, is what Hillel was teaching. It's permissible. And listen, that is the teacher the Pharisees wanted to follow. That's the Pharisees' favorite teacher, the liberal Hillel here. But camp number two followed the teaching of Rabbi Shammai. And he was much more rigid in his answer. He said, no, the only permissible reason for divorce is adultery. Sexual immorality. If one of those spouses has been unfaithful to the other, then Shammai said divorce was going to be permissible. So that's the two possible camps that these Pharisees have just presented to Jesus. And they're thinking he has to choose one. Right, They think they have him in a trap where at best they're going to divide half of his multitude, multitude. So I just want you to think about this. They ask Jesus the question. The great multitude hears or gets past word that this is the question that Jesus has just been asked. And I want you to picture just a holy hush coming over the crowd. What is Jesus going to say? Which camp is he going to side with? I mean, he has to side with one or does he? Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 4 And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, church, I love this part, and I love this part for many reasons, but I love first what Jesus does here. Please note, Jesus does not go to the opinions of men when he answers this question. Jesus does not quote Hillel. Jesus does not quote Shammai. Jesus does not go to the popular teachings or the popular teachers of this day when answering a controversial question. Where does he go? He goes to the word of God. He goes back to the beginning. He goes to the book of Genesis. And I love this because the unchanging source and the solid foundation upon which we stand is the word of God. Teachers and teachings and opinions will come and go, but the word of God stands forever. It stands forever. And when we think about this situation, think about how this applies to us. This is what we as Christians need to do, especially in this topic of marriage. We've got to go back to the word of God. And we've got to let the word of God define what God has created and instituted when it comes to marriage. We don't let popular opinion or popular teaching or teachers or public policies or governmental standards or supreme court rulings. We don't let those things define things for us. The word of God does. Christians, the word of God defines these things for us. That's what Jesus is showing us. Jesus goes to the word. Now he says to these Pharisees, have you not read? Now that may not impact our hearts the same way it would have impacted theirs, but I want you to know that is equivalent to reaching out your hand and spiritually slapping them right across the face. When you look at the Pharisees and say, have you not read the Bible? Jesus is wanting them to know he knows who they are. He knows they are blind guides. That they've put all this head knowledge in their brains, but they've never let it make the journey to affect their heart. They're spiritually blind. And how can blind guides lead anybody towards the Lord if they have not embraced the word themselves? So he says, have you not read? They're blind guides. They're hypocrites. They're whitewashed tombs looking great on the outside, but full of dead man's bones. They're trying to trip up with Jesus, trip up Jesus with a question they should have known the answer to. So Jesus says again, have you not read? And then Jesus quotes from the book of Genesis. He goes back to the beginning. And I want you to notice before Jesus even starts talking about divorce, he says, let's talk about marriage first. Let's go back and let's see what marriage was supposed to be about in the first place. Let's see what it was designed to be about in the first place. So have you not read what God did at the beginning? Jesus says God made them male and female. God made two genders, California, male and female. God created them that way, and they are very, very different from one another. We, as men and women, we are very, very different from one another. And it is by God's design that we are different. Men are not women, and women are not men. God created them with a purpose, two different genders. And there's so much purpose and design in the differences that God has created. It's so we would be comparable to one another. That we would complement one another. That my weaknesses would be my wife's strengths, and her weaknesses would be my strengths. We would fit like a puzzle piece. Things would come together by God's perfect design. So please understand the differences between men and women are not accidents. God's not like, oops, what did I do here? He knew exactly what he was doing. They're not accidents. And listen, they're not indifferences. They're not inequalities either. All right, one is not greater. One is not lesser. They're suitable, comparable helpmates. But I want you to see this. Because he made them male and female, Jesus says, for this reason, man will leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. Because we're different. There's going to be a desire to come together and make the thing whole. That's what marriage was supposed to be about as God created it. That's why marriage exists. I want you to think about Adam. Adam wasn't really alone, right? He had all these different animals. He had tigers and lions and bears for pets. Things had to be pretty cool, except God said it wasn't good because he didn't have a suitable helpmate. It was not good for him to be alone. And so God created Eve, And I love that he created Eve out of his side. Not to walk behind him, not to walk in front of him, but to walk beside him, because that is what marriage is supposed to look like. But Adam sees Eve for the first time and says, this is the most beautiful woman on the planet, and she was. And Eve looked at Adam and said, this is the most handsome man on the planet, and he was. But listen, it wasn't just physical. It wasn't just physical. Adam has qualities and gifts and character attributes that were sown into him, created in him by God. And Eve desires those things. And Eve has character qualities and attributes created by God. And Adam desires those things. It's so much more than just physical. The differences are beautiful because that's what God created. And that's God's design. Please know it's good that we're different. Husbands and wives, it's good that we're different. It's not bad, it's just different, and it's good that it's different. All right, it's by necessity that it's different. But here's God's marriage. Here's the first marriage. Here's the design for marriage as God created and instituted it. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That's what Jesus is talking about. But listen, he says, for this reason, man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife Notice that it says man will do that. Man will leave his individual soul pursuits and he will be joined to his wife. He will leave and cleave. And this word cleave, it means to glue yourself together. It is okay married couples to look at each other and say, I'm stuck to you, babe. Because we're stuck together. We should glue ourselves together. Our marriage bonds with our spouses should be stronger than the relationships we have with our own mother and father. Understand the priority. Jesus first, our relationship with God first, our spouses second, and every other relationship follows after that. That's the priority. We we leave and we cleave literally to glue ourselves together, the strongest bond the strongest kind of bond here is being forged. We need to make sure that that priority is right. But Jesus still quoting the book of Genesis says, and the two shall become one flesh. So those who were two, think of two pieces of wood. Think of two, two by fours. Now I think you're all much smarter than that. I'm not calling you all a piece of wood. This is just for a figure of speech or analogy, but think of two pieces of wood, right? They're clean on each side, two, two by fours. Right When you leave and cleave, you take those two two two-by-fours and you put them together and you glue them together. And now they're stuck. They're cleaved together. They're joined together. They're no longer two pieces of wood, are they? They're one now. And that's what marriage is supposed to look like. It's stronger. You're stronger than you were before because two are better than one. You, You become one flesh is what Jesus is saying. One in feeling, one in interest, one in affection, one for the other and the other for the one. You have these pursuits together. You conversate together. There's a oneness that needs to be there in marriage. But I want you to note this. It's one in flesh. It's not one in spirit. And that's important. You do not lose your identity in marriage. You don't lose your identity in Christ. You don't lose the differences. You don't become the same Right? You have differences that are needed and he has differences that are needed. There's a oneness though because everything gets made whole. As you both complement one, one another and you come to the table with that situation saying, I want this whole to be better. I want this situation to move forward in a better way and we come together to do that. That is what God is speaking here as Jesus is speaking what God did in the beginning in the book of Genesis. That is the way marriage was supposed to be from the beginning. But then notice, Jesus does not shy away from the answer. Jesus is not trying to deviate from the question. He's just saying, this is what marriage was at the beginning. And then he answers the question directly. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's Jesus' answer to this question. What God has joined together, let man not separate. And what I want you to hear is divorce was never a part of God's plan for marriage. All right, that is the biblical answer. Jesus is not going from the culture. He's not going from popular teachers or opinions. He's not pulling from anything else. He's using the word of God to say this is what marriage was all about. And church, this is our example as well. You'll hear it said sometimes that Jesus didn't take a stand for marriage. That Jesus didn't define marriage between a man and a woman. And I say, no, no, he just did. He just did. He just took a stand for marriage and he just defined what marriage is. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's where we come up with this title, marriage matters. Marriage matters to God and marriage should matter to all of us. Marriage is something we need to fight for. Marriage is something we need to bust out the gorilla glue again and start adhering ourselves to one another if we need to. Marriage is something we need to take a strong inventory and think of those two pieces of wood again. We need to see what are the wedges that I've allowed to start to separate me and my spouse. They've got to go. You've got to, we've got to remove those things that are seeking to be a wedge to pull us apart because Jesus just said what God has joined together, let man not separate. Bust out the gorilla glue, remove those wedges as you come together and let God do what only God can do. I think we need a little slogan for each of our marriages. My wife and I have one and it's, it's you and me until Jesus comes back, baby. It's you and me until Jesus comes back. You think about having only one car. What if you were given just one car? What if the car you have is the car you're going to have for the rest of your life? You get no other car. How many are overdue for an oil change on that car? How many tires are starting to show some cords? How many have not cleaned that injection system forever? What if we treated our marriages that way? Some of us, we have been. And the date night's long overdue. And the devotion times, just me and her, or you and him, are long overdue. And wedges are starting to form. And this marriage is starting to unravel. We've got to take this seriously. We've got to take the word of the Lord seriously. We've got to say, this is what God has called me to do. This is what the word of God has to say. And marriage matters. So keeping all this in mind, I want you to know that the Pharisees are licking their chops right here. They're thinking, yes, I thought Jesus was going to answer this way. I was hoping Jesus was going to answer this way. Because the plan to try and trip him up is falling into line perfectly, exactly as they planned. So look at what the Pharisees say next. Verse 7, then they said to Jesus, the Pharisees said to Jesus, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Well, you notice the Pharisees pounce on that. When Jesus says what God has joined together, let man not separate, they say, well, why? Why then did Moses command that they give a certificate of divorce? Oh, see, Jesus doesn't even know God is what they're hoping to imply because he doesn't even know what Moses commanded. So catch that they're pouncing on this. What the Pharisees are referring to when they said Moses commanded to give a certificate of divorce, they're referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 1 through 4. And I put those verses in your study guide for you to look at contextually later. But those verses speak about finding uncleanness in your spouse and then giving a certificate of divorce to dissolve the marriage. And much of the debate between Hillel and Shammai centered around what is uncleanness. What is the permissibility for a righteous divorce, a, divor- a divorce that is right before God? But Jesus does not go there. Jesus does not use them. Jesus said again, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So why then, they want to know, did Moses command this? They think they have Jesus right where they want him, but look at what Jesus says in verse 8. Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Please tune in for this. This is very important. Jesus is going to say three things here that are very, very important. Number one, Jesus says Moses permitted divorce. Jesus says he permitted it. He didn't command it. You can look back up in verse 7 and say, the Pharisees said he commanded it. They use a different Greek word. And Jesus says he didn't command it. He permitted it. And that's, that's important because if God commands something, our options are quite limited. Obey or don't obey. But God did not command you get a divorce. God did not command you divorce your wife. He permitted it. Moses permitted it. Now, why did Moses permit it? Number two, Jesus says, Moses permitted it because of the hardness of your hearts. And I want you to know, that's the main problem in most marriages. It's the hardness of heart. The problem wasn't uncleanness. The problem was the condition of the heart. And that is where most problems in most marriages come back to. It's always the problem of the heart. That is the issue. One person has allowed their heart to grow hard. Hard t- towards the Lord. Hard towards the things of the Lord. And hard towards their spouse. And we, you know, we, we say it because maybe we think it sounds better in our culture. We say, well, I just fell out of love with that person. We say, no, you didn't. Your heart grew hard. We say, oh, I have irreconcilable differences toward this person. And we say, no, that's not it either. Your heart grew grew hard. You've hardened your heart towards the things of the Lord and we know that it's hard because when the Spirit of God shows us what the Word of God says, we go, that's not for me. That's not my situation. I'm not going to submit to that. I'm not going to let that change me. That's a hard heart. And when the other person does things and maybe seeks reconciliation and it just starts adding the tally to the account, that's a hard heart. And if we have hard hearts towards our spouses, towards the Lord, we're gonna become just like these Pharisees, looking for a permissible reason to divorce. And if you're in here or you're listening to this message at a later date and you have been doing that, you're looking for a permissible reason for a divorce, I want you to know you have a hard heart heart you're hardening your heart towards the word of God towards the spirit of God towards the will of God and towards your spouse and I just want everyone to hear this listen the problem is not your spouse so many times we think you know what I really need I need to marry another person another person's going to make me happy that is a lie You don't need another person to be happy. You know what you need? You need to be the person you've been born again in Jesus Christ to be. You need to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to soften your heart to the things of God. You need to repent. And I need to do all these things too. I'm saying you a lot, but this all applies to me too. I need Jesus as much or more than all of you do. I need Jesus to love my wife, and she's amazing. But I still need Jesus. Oh my, I need Jesus. But that's the heart of what Jesus is speaking here in this. Moses permitted it because of the hardness of your heart. Now listen, I'm not trying to sugarcoat or rose coat or color glow or whatever it may be for your marriage. There may be problems. There may be serious problems and anger issues and bitterness and resentment. There may be betrayal. There may be no more trust. There may be some serious issues in your marriage. But I'm speaking to you individually, husbands and wives. There can be no restoration. There can be no reconciliation if you individually won't soften your heart first. It's one person at a time. You've heard it. It takes two to fight, right? It only takes one to soften one person softens and says, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to go down this race anymore. I am going to clothe myself in humility. I'm going to be like Jesus. And you start watching that situation change. So heed that. This leads us to what Jesus says next. Number three, he says again, in the beginning, it was not so. So remember the question, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? And Jesus says, in the beginning, it was not so. Marriage was not created with divorce in mind. That was not the end goal that God had in mind when he created them male and female. And for that reason, they would leave and cleave and be joined to one another and become one flesh. So I say to you, if you are married here this morning, God's highest will for you is that you stay married. God's highest will for you is that you would soften your heart and walk in the oneness of marriage and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. We've been talking a lot in the Gospel of Matthew about discipleship and the cost of discipleship and the difficulty of that is. And I want you to know marriage is one of the best testing grounds For what Jesus is calling us to do, right? I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. I'm thinking, what What do you mean it's not okay to to play four hours of video games on Saturday? That was no problem before, but now it seems to be an issue. Like we've got to go for walks now. We've got. I mean, I'm in the middle of Madden 2011 or 2005 or whatever it was. Now I'm thinking, no, this is what I do. I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. I never knew how I was kind of messy and really wasn't much of a servant. I didn't, knew, I didn't know how it was to love somebody unconditionally until I got married. Marriage is the testing ground for some of these things as God calls us to walk in some of these. So I want us to settle this. Jesus says, it, or Jesus is asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus says, no. Divorce is not an option for a Christian. Divorce is not to be thrown around loosely as a threat in the middle of arguments. If you are doing that, stop. Divorce was not a part of the creation called marriage. Jesus has made that crystal clear. What God has joined together, let man not separate. And from the beginning, it was not so. Now, you may be thinking, because I hear this from time to time, oh, but you don't know my marriage. But you don't know what I'm going through. But you don't know how bad things are for me. But you don't know what's happened. I, people tell me, but you don't know. You can't relate. You don't understand. And you know what? I'll give you that. I don't know. I don't understand what's going on in everybody's marriages. But I'm going to tell you this. I know Jesus. Jesus. I know him and I know what he's able to do in a life that is entrusted to him. I know what he can do if we will deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. And now I know how he feels about marriage, which means I know that my Jesus who raised from the dead, will pour out his resources unconditionally if you will agree with his word and let him apply it to your life and marriage. I know what Jesus is able to do and I've seen it done over and over and over again. So get in the yoke with Jesus. Be faithful. Pray for your spouse. Pray for a soft heart. Let another couple into your marriage. Get some counsel. Get some marriage counsel. Humble yourself if that's what you need to do. Get accountability. Stay in fellowship. But let the word of God be true. And everything in this world that is contrary to it has to be the lie. Let the word of God be our foundation. And please do not think you can do this on your own. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray often, daily. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. After an outburst, Father, forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That is the single most uttered prayer in my life because I'm that dependent on the power of God to walk out what he's called me to do. And you, my brother and sister, are no different. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus. And we need him to soften our hearts. And we need to let the Bible be our guide and our compass. Because Jesus just showed us marriage matters. So let this be our aim. Let this be our target. Now, what about adultery? What happens in Adultery. What happens when one spouse is unfaithful to the marriage vows within a marriage? Jesus says this in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus addresses the adul- adultery here and again clearly adultery is the breaking of one's marriage vows. It's being unfaithful. It's breaking the one flesh commitment that you made to your spouse a lot gets talked about Uh, you know spouse got tangled up in pornography and Jesus says that if you look lustfully with your eyes you've committed adultery so is that permissible I believe and I counsel and I teach this is a violation of the one flesh commitment that you've made with your spouse so we're talking about sexual intercourse with another person who is not your spouse all right any other person that's adultery That's what Jesus is speaking about here. And we see here, he says, adultery is a permissible reason to get a divorce. You may have heard it called a righteous divorce, a divorce that is called right in the eyes of God, a permissible reason. But I want you to see again, Jesus does not command it. Jesus doesn't command you get divorce. It is of my heart. And if you come to me for counseling, I will be an advocate for your marriage until the very end. I will fight and I will counsel you to stick it out and to trust the Lord, to allow the Lord to redeem that marriage or to give him room if you can. And I say, if you can, because I know what the scripture also says. There are some who cannot. There are some people who feel so violated of the treachery of adultery that they are just not able to forgive. They're not able to get past that. And I say to you, you can be free. But I want you to know that I don't believe that is God's highest will for you. That I believe God can still redeem that marriage. Think about the gospel. Or think about the book of Jeremiah. or Think about the books of Hosea. Think about how God himself knows the pain of an unfaithful spouse. Think about most of the Old Testament, how Israel is a picture of God's wife. God calls Israel his wife and how they are consistently unfaithful to him. Yet he he extends the invitation, return to me, return to me. And God never breaks his end of the covenant. God is faithful to his promises. So there is that as well. But let's not miss what Jesus is saying here. Let's not miss who he's speaking to here. Who's the dialogue between? When he says, assuredly I say to you, who is the you that Jesus is speaking to? It is the Pharisees. Right? The Pharisees have been the one asking this question. That's who the dialogue is between. And so Jesus says, assuredly I say to you... Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, they commit adultery. Jesus is saying to you Pharisees, these Pharisees are itinerant teachers, meaning they're traveling from city to city and synagogue to synagogue, teaching the people. And what they would do is they would have a wife in every city. And upon leaving that city, they would just yeah, we'll come up with some form of uncleanness. It wasn't hard for the self-righteous Pharisees who thought everybody but themselves, including Jesus, was unclean to find some uncleanness in their spouse. So they would just write a certificate of divorce. And Jesus has already told us that was never how marriage was supposed to be. It's not just a temporary thing. It's a life, it's a life connection that God doesn't want separated. So he says, you treating it like this, in the beginning it was not so. This is adultery. This is breaking apart that one flesh. And they come back to that analogy of those two pieces of wood again. Remember, they're clean, and then they get married, and they get glued together, if you've ever done any flooring in your house, or you've ever tried to rip apart two pieces of wood that have been glued together, you know they're not going to come apart clean. And you need a crowbar. And when they rip apart, chunks and splinters are attached to the other one that was once a part of that one. Because that's what divorce really does, is it rips people apart. And anybody who's ever been through a divorce, you know that that is true. It is not the easy way out. But these Pharisees, that's what they're doing, and Jesus is saying, you need to take this very seriously because to do this is adultery. And I'm not going to water down verse 9. I'm not going to do it. This is what the word of God says, and I need to be faithful, but I want to address some of these things directly. For those who have been divorced, for those who are here and have been remarried, let's understand what Jesus is saying here. If that original marriage dissolved for any other reason other than adultery or abandonment, as Paul will speak about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we need to take very seriously what Jesus just said. And it's important for us to do that. Remarriage after divorce should be taken very, very, very seriously. And I don't know how many Christians do. But we need to take it very seriously. And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by take it seriously? I mean, we take the standard of God, the Word of God, and we say, that's what it says. And I measure my life against it because the Word of God is like a mirror. I think I'm reading the Word of God, but what it's really doing is it's reading me. And when the Word of God shows me my sin, you know what I need to do? I need to repent. I need to let the Word of God be true. And when the spirit of conviction falls upon me, you know what I need to do, Christian? I run to Jesus because that's what we need to do. So I don't want you to just like breeze over this like it doesn't apply to you. It might. And what you need to do is repent. And maybe you already have. And you've come to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me. My first marriage ended on a means that was not permissible. Forgive me. That was sin. I missed your highest will for my life. I missed what you have defined marriage to be. I need your grace. Forgive me. And you know what Jesus will do? He will forgive you. If you have been divorced in here, that is not a scarlet letter. Quit carrying it around. Let it be nailed to the cross. That does not make you a second-class citizen in heaven, nor does it in this church. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So you need to let that go. You recognize that it didn't go the way it was supposed to go, and you've given it to the Lord. It is not the unforgivable sin. Quit carrying it around learn what you need to learn remember the height from which you've fallen and go back to the first works get walking with Jesus yet again that's what the spirit of god wants to teach us that's what's going on you've maybe heard i'm sure you've heard of malachi 2:16 that says god hates divorce listen god hates divorce but god does not hate the divorcee god does not hate the divorced And so you need to let the word of God be true. God loves you and God is for you and Jesus died for your sins and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So let that go. So if you're here and you've been divorced and you're in Christ this morning, you have been forgiven. But what if I remarried and my first divorce was not based on a permissible reason? Does that mean I committed adultery? And if I did, was it an act of adultery? Or am I in a continual state of adultery now? Am I an adultery? Are you an adultery? Listen, no. No, you are not in a continual state of adultery if you are remarried after your divorce. Because if you did what we just talked about and you repented and you went to the Lord and confessed your sin, you know what we know about our King Jesus? That he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not the unforgivable sin. All right, we want to make it such in our own man-made opinions and it is important, but here Jesus is able to cleanse us. There was a violation and that marriage covenant the first one did fail, but if we're remarried now, everything we just read pertains. It's now the highest priority. And I just want us to understand, again, we make these things we, we put our, our, kind of our mindset about making this thing greater than it is, but I just want us to understand what truly is Great. If there is one sin in our lives, just one sin that has not been covered by the blood of Jesus, do you know what that means? That means we are not saved. That means we will not spend eternity in heaven with God if there's just one sin. But they've all been paid by Jesus. They were all nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. He's removed all of our stain, all of our sin, and he's made us white as snow. That is what the gospel teaches. So let the gospel message, the work of Jesus Christ, wash over you. We are not defined by our sin. We are sinners, and we do fall short of the glory of God. That does happen, but we are defined by who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's our hope. We are Christians. We are to be found in him. So if that's applying to you, if you're remarried now, everything we just talked about in marriage applies to you. Don't separate what God has joined together. Let this marriage be God's highest will. Pour everything you have into this marriage so it would represent what God wants it to represent. Now, as we're sitting here, I think some are saying, man, this is heavy. This is challenging. And I say, I know I've been sitting in it all week. You've only been sitting in it for about 45 minutes. But we know we're interpreting this correctly when we see how the disciples respond to this. Verse 10, Jesus' disciples say to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who've made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So Jesus' own disciples, remember, they're part of this same multitude. They're listening to the same teaching. They come up to Jesus after hearing Jesus talk about the intentionality and the duration of marriage. And they think, wow, Jesus, it kind of sounds like it's better not to marry. I mean, this sounds really serious and I think that is really good for us to grasp. If you're single here this morning, you've been waiting a long time to have something pertain to you. And here it is. If you're single this morning, don't take marriage lightly. Some of you, you may be single here and you are desiring to be married and you're thinking it is so hard to wait. I'm gonna give you a promise. It is easier to wait for the right person than it is to get out of a marriage that you think you you forged too quickly. It's easier to wait. Wait on the Lord. Seek first his kingdom. Wait on him. Listen to the still small voice of the Lord. Listen to the heart of what the scripture is speaking to you. That is what Jesus is saying. Now these disciples are hearing Jesus say, all cannot accept this, but only those to whom it has been given. And then Jesus starts talking about eunuchs. Some being born eunuchs. Some made eunuchs literally through castration. Some figuratively. And we're talking about some awesome topics today, aren't we? And we just kind of hit just the full gamut here in chapter 19. But some here, they're not going to be married. They desire a life of celibacy. And listen, that doesn't make them more holy. But it's what they've been called to do by God. And they're going to devote themselves to the kingdom work. But I think for most of us in our culture, we have a desire to be married or we are married already and this is the message Jesus has for us. Marriage matters. So as we close this out this morning, this difficult challenge, I just want you to know I'm praying for all of you. I've been praying for all of you by name if I know it and if you're married, I have been on my face for your marriage that you would hear this and that it would breathe life into you that it would speak to your heart over what is going on here. And as we think about what our study has been the past three weeks as a whole, I like that Matthew opens up the study saying that when Jesus had finished these sayings, and we say, well, what sayings? And we were reminded he was talking about humility and forgiveness. And then he talks about marriage. And I think that's very important because humility and forgiveness are some of the greatest attributes that need to be present in a marriage. Humility, valuing others as greater than yourself, valuing your spouse as greater than yourself, loving them and serving them. And men, washing them in the water of the word and treating them as the weaker vessel. And wives, loving your husband, respecting him, giving him room to lead, all the Ephesians 5 stuff that we talked about last summer. But it's important, humility to receive the word of God, and then forgiveness. To forgive them as God in Christ has forgiven us. Keeping short accounts. I was told early on in my marriage that what do you think is more important? Is it more important to love your wife when she's lovely or is it more important to love your wife when she's unlovely? And I'm telling you, it's more important to love her when she's unlovely. All right, it's easier to love her when she's lovely, but it's more important to love her when she's unlovely. And if you can do that, again, by the strength and supply of the Spirit of God, you will find that she is just not that unlovely all the time because you're always loving her and she is secure in your love. And women, there's probably some great truth for you too there, but you're gonna have to ask my wife because I don't know how to do it from your perspective. But I do want to encourage you, your marriage matters. It matters to God and he unravels his power his resources his spirit to you and we don't have time to go into everybody's situation I know there's people married to people who are not walking with Jesus I know there's people who are on second or third marriages but I want you to know God is for you and I'd love to visit with you one-on-one if that's what you want. But what I want to do as we close out is I want to ask Bob to come up here. And I want to see maybe Charlie if, if Chris can drive back there. I'd love if you want prayer for your marriage, if you want prayer for a season of singleness, if you want prayer to love your wife or your husband through a difficult time, we want to pray for you. So I'm going to have Bob over here. Don't stand by the speaker because he won't be able to hear him or they can't hear you. But we want to pray for you. Okay? So just take advantage of this time. Father, we come before you. And Lord, as challenging as this is, I can't feel that we've done this service justice if I don't give people an opportunity to respond and get some prayer for their marriage. I don't want them to go back to the marriage after they leave this place that they've came if it needs some help, if it needs an injection from the Spirit of the living God. So I just, Father, just ask that you would stir upon hearts. That would you'd move upon people that need prayer for anything. Maybe it's not marriage related at all, but it's affecting them. I just pray, God, that you'd move on the hearts of my brothers and sisters. And as we close out in worship, an incredible song. Let's do some business with you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Move in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.